And so the subject of today's message is focus. We're going to be talking a little bit about meditating on God. We're going to be at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or flip your bulletin over, it's also written on that. There's a story from the 1920s of a city boy spending the summer with his grandparents on the farm. And being from the city, he wasn't used to the farm lifestyle, especially when it had to do with waking up at the crack of dawn and doing chores. And one of the chores that he had to do was to go out to the well with a big bucket and fetch the water for, supper, for breakfast for his grandma to uh, prepare breakfast with. And he hated doing it. I mean, this was kind of, it was a big bucket. The well was far away from the house. And he hated having to go out there at the crack of dawn and fill this bucket up and carry it all the way back to the house. But he loved his grandparents and he did it anyway. Well, Sundays was church day at his grandparents, and as they walked home, his grandparents were discussing the sermon, about, and the sermon was about why reading and studying the Bible were the important to the Christian. And in the life of the city boy, where he lived with his parents, they didn't go to church but maybe once or twice a year, so he asked his grandparents, why is studying that old book so important? I mean, why do we have to really dig into this thing called the Bible? And his grandfather said, son, I'll show you when we get home. So when they got home, his grandpa asked them to fetch some water from the well. But instead, this time, instead of using the water bucket, he wanted him to go over to the stove and grab the coal bucket and bring the water in with that. And the grandson looked at him and said, but that, that basket or that, that bucket is so nasty. I mean, we're not going to want to drink water out of that. I mean, why are you asking me to go and get it out of the coal bucket? And he said, you know what, boy? You just need to go mind me and go do what I told you to do. And so the boy did. He walked over and he picked up that coal bucket from its hook and he walked out to the pump. And he gets in, the, and he gets it in there, hangs it on its thing, and he starts pumping and pumping and the water starts filling it up and filling it up and leaking out the bottom and leaking out the sides, just all kinds of cracks in it. He's trying to fill it up, trying to fill it up, pumps faster and faster, and it keeps filling up, and it gets just about to the top, and he'd grab it, and he'd start trying to run to the house, and he wouldn't make it 10 steps before the bucket would be empty again. So he brought it back, and he tried to position it a different way. Maybe if he, he leans it this way, it wouldn't leak out so much, and he keeps pumping and pumping, and water keeps running out, and he's getting very, very frustrated at this point. And finally, after about 15 or 20 minutes of trying to get water into this bucket, he gives up, and he carries this bucket back into the house. He's like, Grandpa, this isn't going to work. The bucket is just has too many holes, and it won't hold water anymore. And the grandfather said, did you look at the inside of the bucket? And so the boy looked at the inside of the bucket and all the water that had flown through it had made that bucket actually pretty clean on the inside. And the grandfather said, that's why we read and study the Word of God over and over again. The Word of God is like that water to the human spirit. And we need that water of God to flow through us because we leak even worse than that bucket does. So we need to keep that water flowing through us so we can be clean on the inside. Because whatever is really on the inside of us always, always makes it out. Whether it's going to be the good stuff or the bad stuff. And that's a pretty wise grandpa, isn't it? Today we're going to talk about meditating on God's Word. 
And we're going to start in Psalm 1, but look at several different scriptures to see what the Bible says about this idea of meditation from the biblical perspective. So we're going to be in, start in Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. So Father God, we ask, Lord, that you just take these few minutes on this Sunday and stress in our spirits how important spending time with you and spending time reading and studying and meditating on your word is for our spiritual health. Father, it's one of the keys to living a victorious life through you. And I ask, Father, that you just make this very apparent to us, but not something that we just give an intellectual assent to, but something that we realize and have a life change within our spirits about. So, Father, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the story we started out today illustrates the primary reason we need to think and read and meditate on the scripture. And when we talk about the word meditation, we're not talking about kind of the Eastern meditation kind of thing that, that many people get a little weird about when they hear the word meditate. We're not talking about chants. We're not even talking about some of the things that is sneaking its way into the church where a person will take Jesus' name, for example, and, and sit there and chant Jesus, Jesus, Jesus as some sort of spiritual exercise or, or maybe, you know, if they have anger or fear or something like that, they'll preach the opposite. You know, if I'm fear, I'm going to sit here and chant courage, courage, courage. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about transcendental meditation where your spirit kind of leaves your body and explores the universe. We're not talking about spirit guides or accessing different planes of reality. Although that kind of meditation is all kind, has its ties in Hinduism and has practices that are strictly forbidden in Scripture. From the Christian perspective, we, we take all of that kind of stuff and we put it under the heading of witchcraft. And witchcraft is simply defined as using an extra-biblical way of accessing the spiritual realm. So we're not talking about that kind of meditation. We're going to look at what the Bible calls meditation and why it is important for us to practice that today. And there are several keys that are important to us, both for our survival and for our growth as a Christian that meditation is going to help us with. And we're going to look at a few of those today. First one we're going to look at today is that it focuses us on God. If you were here last week, we read from Psalm 139. And the last verse, I was actually going to include it in that message. And as I was reading, preparing it, I wanted to have a different message to focus on this. But in Psalm 139.17, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Meditation is critically important to our overall focus in life because our focus determines our reality. 
And I know that idea sounds like something you see on a motivation poster at work. Anybody see those? If, I don't know, if you work out in a thing, you see motivation posters that, that have a saying on them and they're supposed to make you a better employee. And this kind of sounds like one of those things. But it is very true in our lives because this has both a positive and a negative connotation in our lives that, that focus determines reality. First, the negative. We can focus on things that are very destructive. I was reading the news this week, and there was a story out of Great Britain about a woman who had read a news story about an Islamic man who had, who had um, some type of honor situation in his family against one of his daughters, and so it, to punish his daughter, he poured sulfuric acid all over her, over in Great Britain. And this woman became just obsessed with this story. She couldn't get it out of her head. And she researched other attacks by men, or specifically Islamic men, against women. And it became almost an addiction with her. And so she even went out and bought some sulfuric acid and began experimenting by pouring it on different things to see what it would react to. And then she moved on to buying sausage and meats and, and pouring sulfuric acid on it to see what would happen. And then one day her boyfriend did something to anger her. And while he slept, he, she took a half liter of that acid and sat on top of him and poured it over his face. A half liter is this water bottle right here. Just poured it all over his face. And obviously this man was severely burned, horribly disfigured, and has needed dozens of surgery and probably need a lot more surgeries to correct this damage, but most of it, including his blindness, will be permanent. And I use this story kind of as an extreme example of how the wrong thoughts can take root and it can cause great harm not only to yourself, but to those around you. Proverbs 23.7 in the King James says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Remember what that old farmer said? If you, what you allow to dwell on the inside of you will always find its way to the outside. You can't play in the world's systems and expect your spirit to be healthy. You can't party with the devil and expect the mind of God to rule in your life. Doing so is like being surprised that you get sick from drinking poison. That's how foolish that is. Or that you can't have joy if you focus only on the negative in life. And that is why meditating on God and focusing on God brings joy. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your word. And what this is telling us is that truth always brings joy. And notice I'm using the word joy. I'm not using the word happiness. Much of what is wrong with our society and us as individuals is this thing called the pursuit of happiness. And they say, well, what's wrong with pursuing happiness? Well, I did some research on this, this nebulous idea of what happiness is. Last year, there were a little bit of over 4 billion prescriptions filled in the United States. 4 billion prescriptions. That's a lot of pills. Of those 4 billion prescriptions, I looked at the top 50 prescribed medications. And of those 50, over 15 of them are directly related to treating depression, 
anxiety, or are some type of mood stabilizer. 15 of those 50. Of the other 35, the vast majority of them, 85% of them, had to do with controlling cholesterol, diabetes, blood pressure, and heart disease. Most of which, those conditions, are caused by lifestyle choices. Poor um, tobacco use, poor diet, lack of exercise, and I'm guilty of two or three of those myself. And why, we, why do we do these things to our body? Because we're pursuing happiness. We're trying to feel good. If we start feeling down or tired or depressed, we, so we go and eat cookies or ice cream or a favorite in the ER I work at, chocolate. Always chocolate out there. We go and we seek something outside of that which God has given us. Our favorite binge food. Even our normal diets, apart from our snacks, we eat way too many calories. And most of us, when we get overwhelmed, we just want to go and check out somewhere, don't we? We want to sit on the, TV, sit on the couch and soak up our TV, favorite TV program. Or maybe a movie. And that worsens the problem because there isn't much in popular media that's very healthy for our spirit, is there? And so instead of doing something active, going out and, and doing something in God's creation, we sit there and, and let this cycle continue to feed the negativity into our body. And sometimes, I found this shocking this week as I was preparing for this message too, sometimes people even turn to a substance to make them feel better or be happy. And believe it or not, marijuana use is skyrocketing right now amongst Christians, especially in the states where it's become legal. There is even a small civil war forming within the assemblies between those who are under 40 and those over 40 about drinking alcohol. The under 40s want to be able to drink alcohol, and the over 40s are saying, well, we, we never have, why do we need to do it now? And I know you're thinking, wait a second, we're supposed to be talking about the positive aspects of meditating on God. And I had to make these points to make this one to make sure we're all talking about the right thing, is that God's word never tells us to pursue happiness, but it commands us to be filled with joy. And that's what meditating and God and his word does for us. Joy is not just another word for happiness. Happiness is an emotion that is temporary and it's dependent upon your immediate circumstances at that time. But joy is dependent upon something you have put your faith in, something you really believe, and it's a result of a promise that was made to you. I was working as a 911 paramedic in Walworth County, and we had a wedding, um, or there was a wedding occurring out at Interlake, and we got called for a welfare check out there. Apparently, um, the elderly grandmother of one of the, of the couple that were getting married had not felt well, so she hopped the shuttle and got, and got taken back to her um, villa that she had there. And they called over to the villa to let her know that the reception's going on, and she needed a ride back or anything, and nobody answered. So somebody went to the door, knocked on the door, and nobody answered, so they called security. Security called us for a welfare check. That means that we can't get a hold of this person, we're gonna have you come out just in case there's something wrong. So we went into the villa, found her in bed, and determined that she had been dead for a couple of hours. And so because it's an unwitnessed death, we have to wait for the coroner to get there to, to make it officially legal official, because technically it's, it's an unwitnessed death and still a crime scene until the coroner says otherwise. 
And so as we're sitting there, the family starts, you know, gets word of this and starts showing up. And I had to tell the family what happened and, and everything and why we weren't rushing her to the hospital and different things like that. So I just, I, I put that before, that story before you to ask a question. Do you think that the people were very happy about the situation? Probably not. That went out the window. But how about the joy of the wedding? Do you think that was still in the bride and groom's heart, even if the hap they weren't very happy at the moment? Probably. Joy is never dependent upon circumstances, or it shouldn't be, or otherwise it's not joy. Joy is based in believing in the promise. And for the believer in Jesus, it's having faith in the promises of God. And that's why the understanding of joy is so important to us, is joy is a spiritual gift that comes into the life of the believer through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we, when we accept Jesus, when we are born again, and we die to our old ways of thinking, we are transformed in the renewing of our minds. The Holy Spirit comes and he takes up residence in our hearts. And when he comes up and takes up residence in our hearts, he doesn't come alone. He brings the Father and the Son with him. We have the entirety of the Godhead living within us. And that enables us to allow faith to form our thoughts, which forces fear away. It, tells, it helps us to have hope fill our hearts instead of unbelief. And it allows truth to guide our actions instead of being driven by our passions of the moment and doing things that are harmful to our lives. And all that is going to result in joy. And when we have joy, it shows us and the rest of our, the world that our spiritual eyes are fixed on Jesus. And that is what is going to be very attractive to the world. Not a Christian who's, who best... Um, emulates Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Remember who Eeyore is? Hi, my name's Eeyore. There's a big dark cloud over the top of me all the time. Nothing is ever good. But how many Christians do you know that are like that? Oh God, just take me to heaven. My life is horrible. That's not very attractive to somebody who you want to tell about the joy of the Lord that is found in Jesus. And and that focus on God will determine a much different view of reality than the person who doesn't have that focus. Meditation on God and his word focuses us back to where our brains and our spirits should be focused, and that is on who God is. And when we have that, we'll have the additional benefit of having an improved discernment of what is going on around us. Now, discernment simply means having the ability to judge that which is right and what is wrong. And if you have noticed, the church has lost much of its prophetic voice over the last 30 years. And one of the reasons we've lost that prophetic voice is because of the disparity that is happening right now within the church. You have kind of the liberal church over here, and I'm not talking about political conservative as as in a political realm, I'm talking more of a interpret the way they see the Bible. You have the liberal church over here, and they read the Bible as a living document. And we, we really don't have to follow because it was written to them back then, and we just take the high moral teachings of the Bible, and that's all we have to do. 
And then you have the conservative branch over here, which we would be more on the conservative side, that said that we believe that the Bible in its original language is directly inspired by God and is our absolute rule of faith and conduct. That's what we would believe in this church. Now, you don't have to be a theologian or philosopher to understand how the liberal side can be kind of dangerous. That, that they kind of believe that it's a living document and that the Bible has to fit within the relevant context of the society that it lives in. So the Bible doesn't change the society, the Bible has to change for the society. That's kind of what they believe. Let me give you an example of why this is dangerous. If the society that we lived in determined that you didn't want your child anymore, let's say up to five years old, you don't want your child. They're going through the terrible twos, they're driving you crazy. I can't go on that cruise because I have to find somebody to watch this kid and everything. Let's just say that in this society, it was completely ethical, socially acceptable, and legal to shoot your kid in the head with a pistol and toss it in a ditch and go on living your life. Let's just say that was completely legal for a moment. I dare say that if we walked out onto the street right now and found people walking up and down the street and, and gave that scenario to them, they would think that's horrible. Any moral person, rightfully so, would think that's a pretty horrible thing to do to, such a, to a small, innocent kid. Even going through the terrible twos, if they don't feel particularly innocent at that point, they're still kind of in, the innocent kid. That it would be an unspeakable evil to do such a thing. And whoever did it should be tried in court, found guilty, and executed immediately for their crimes. That's what most people would believe. And I'm glad that, that we're not here. But if we say that this child hasn't been born yet, but the mother doesn't want this child anymore, then it's completely acceptable to thrust a needle in its brain and kill it. Because it's women's rights. And it's completely ethical, moral, and legal to do so, according to the liberal church over here. Because, after all, doesn't the Bible and the church need to evolve in its understanding about what the Bible teaches about this? And we should get behind this right so that women can live happy lives. And sadly, many churches not only support a woman's right to an abortion, but they actually encourage it because it's expedient and it affects a woman's future happiness. In fact, Dr. George Tiller, who performed tens of thousands of abortions, including thousands of late-term abortions. We're talking beyond 36 weeks. Babies are born around 39, 40 weeks. 36 weeks, baby can survive outside of the womb without any medical assistance. He was performing abortions after that. He was a board member of his church and serving as an usher in his church when he was killed of a major church, in a church that is in a major denomination in the United States today. But this is why we need to meditate on God's Word. This is why we need to understand that the Word of God speaks to us as much today as it did thousands of years ago when it was written. The Word of God stands firm. We need to understand a few things about what the Bible says about itself. King David put it like this in Psalm 119. He said, Oh Lord, your Word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. And all things serve you. The Apostle Paul echoes that in the New Testament when he said that all scriptures God breathed 
and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And most importantly, Jesus himself said this about the Bible. He says, Truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible does not change to fit society. Society is meant to be changed by the Bible. And that's why we need to focus and meditate on the Bible as our source of truth. Not what seems fair, not what seems expedient, not what seems popular in our own mind, not what seems right even in our own minds, but what the Bible actually says. We need to look at the world through scriptural eyes and use that lens to interpret the reality around us. This lens will show us what Scripture plainly teaches as to the truth of every situation and, and issue. And if we learn to trust this word, then we will be like that tree planted by a stream of living water. We'll be healthy, we'll be joyful, and we'll be growing in the things of God. Meditating on God's word also helps us to judge within the church realm. Those of us in the charismatic and Pentecostal church, we believe in the prophetic gifts. And the idea of the prophetic gifts are still in use today is important because God has not changed since the first century. His gifts are still alive and available for us today. But saying that, they can occasionally still be abused and misused. And if somebody were to stand up in a church meeting and say something that doesn't line up with the Bible then we should do what Paul says in Galatians when he said that even if we or an angel of heaven would preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. God is his word. The Bible reveals who God is. And when, therefore, when a person who claims to be under divine inspiration leads people away from the truth of this book, the condemnation needs to be swift and unmistakable. But that's why we need to learn and, and know this truth for ourselves. We need to understand it and pay attention to it. And that's what meditation helps us with. And let it work its way into our spirit so it's part of who we are, so we can't be fooled by the enemy's schemes and his twisting of what this book actually says. The third and final point on the importance of meditation on God's word is that it should guide our actions. If we go back to our original scripture in Psalm 1 and read exactly what it says and understand that within Hebrew poetry there's usually a truth statement and then the following verses will support that truth statement. So if you read you'll see that verses 2 and 3 explain verse 1. So you have the verse the truth claim in verse 1 it says Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way sinners take or sit in the seat of mockers. When you read that, you then kind of infer the question, how do we live blessed and in God's favor? Well, it tells you in verses 2 and 3, who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates 
on his law day and night. That person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and leaf does not wither. And they, whatever they do will prosper. Do you want to live a blessed life? Consume. Consume this word. It's also going to help you with your struggle against sin. Growing up, I grew up in a very non-Christian household. Pornography was everywhere in my house. Magazines, videotapes, pictures on the wall, everything had to do something with pornography or something sexual. And it's something that, because I grew up with it, that I struggled with for years. And when I first got called into the ministry, I was talking to my pastor about why I think that God couldn't be calling me into the ministry because I've, you know, I've lived this life, I've had all these problems and, and issues with this. And he recommended a program that I'd recommend for others if anybody here has that problem. Please come to me in confidence. I'm not going to tell anybody. But I can show you the ways to gain victory over it. It involves confronting the sin, confessing those who it affects, and then memorizing the scripture that deals with the thought lives and makes your thought life pleasing toward God, especially in the realm of that sexual sin. And I can tell you there is great healing through all of this. The devil would try to tell you that there's no way you're going to be able to kick this. There's no way you can have satisfaction without it. But I'm telling you right now that's a lie from the pit of hell and he can and will heal you from it if you will submit to the process of going through it. God's word is powerful. And when we allow it to cleanse our hearts, it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It will judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, and it will bring that healing. And when our focus is on God's truth as found in the Bible, what comes out of us will then be blessed. Finally, I'm going to leave you with a small illustration. And that is, anybody who uses computers, programs computers, works with a computer, knows the saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? If you put garbage into a computer, you get it out. James, can you go one more slide in the future here? Now, I tried as fast as I could without looking at the screen and looking only at my Bible to type the first verse of Psalm 1 here. I don't know what, the, what language that is, but it's a few typos there, isn't there? Now, if that stupid word processor had just done its job, it would have made it very clear. It wouldn't be a single mistake. Dumb computer. Or did it just accept the input that it was given and spit out the, the obvious... Uh, the obvious um, words that I actually typed. In other words, what went into it is going to find its way back out. And that was the output of what I actually typed very quickly without looking or going back and editing it. They had garbage going in and therefore produced garbage. Let's have everybody stand. Many of you wonder why you have so many problems with sin temptation that keeps you from growing in Christ. Maybe it's mistakes you've made in the past. Whatever it is, I would just ask you to look at what you're putting in your minds, what you're putting in your hearts and your spirits, and then filter it through the truth found in God's Word. And when you do that, you can be obedient 
the 2 Corinthians 10.5, which tells us take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ.